You're listening to Soul Work with San, where we journey through the needed conversations that will help us live, lead, and love better in this life. I'm your host, San, and today we're going to keep the convo going. If you haven't checked out last week's episode, please do. I think it'll help with the context of our show today. As promised, we're talking about Pharisees. But this time, using two examples in the scriptures, we'll discuss the four steps to take to rid ourselves of the Pharisee mindset. Heat's coming, fam. You ready? Let's work. Now let's start with a quick summary of last week. It got very real, but we had to go there because it's time out for doing the opposite of what the Bible says. Now here's a quick list that'll indicate if we do these things, we might be a Pharisee. Now for reference, check out Matthew 23 and Luke 11. Juicy texts filled with Jesus talking. Let's get to number one. If we're committed to using shame as a tool for compliance, and presenting a gospel that is crafted around wrath and judgment might be a Pharisee. Number two, if we're obsessed with rituals and performance over the condition of the heart, so how we pray, how we prophesy, how we preach is more important than where our soul is headed, might be a Pharisee. Number three, if we prioritize duty and busyness over love, So if it's more important to attend the seven services on a Sunday than just speaking to our neighbor and treating them right, (laughs) something is wrong. You might be a Pharisee. Number four, if we crave and love the spotlight, we find that it's more important to be seen as something versus actually being that thing. So here's another way to put it. I'd rather people think I'm responsible or healed because they see me preaching or functioning in ministry than actually doing the work required to be healed from the inside out. I might be a Pharisee if I'm doing that. Now, this shows up with Pharisees often, and it's also seen when you find people that are obsessed with appearances, style of dress, and looking the part. That's both Luke 11 and Matthew 23, and it means you might be a Pharisee. Lastly, number five. If we create barriers to this great gospel, but we don't abide by them ourselves, Pharisee fam, now this is dangerous yet accurately describes a heart that is given over to this false gospel. Because if I'm the standard of spirituality, then I can enforce it on others while remaining lenient with it myself. You know, like how we judge people based on their actions, but evaluate ourselves based on our intent. Beloved, Use the Pharisee. Now, here's a few more observations on this. Like I said last week, there's nothing wrong with preference. Everyone has one and it aids with the beauty of diversity. But far too many of us are using our preference as if it's the standard of holiness. And not only is that not okay, it's not biblical. And gone, hear me, gone are the days when we can just pass something off as biblical because we spoke in tongues after we said it and the organ hit the right notes at the right time. 
if it's not in the Bible, it's not to be obeyed, period. Here's another thing. If you find yourself encountering a Pharisee, here's my tip. Compassion over compliance. Compassion because the truth is the life of a Pharisee is one of intense misery. Now ask me how I know. It's soul crushing to constantly pick at the specks in everybody else's eyes while carrying the plank in my own. It's exhausting to have to keep up with the ever addition of rules and regulations that now must be upheld to maintain an appearance of holiness while the heart is far and yearns for him. But worse, it's disheartening to endure the silent horror that despite all of my efforts and intense policing of others, I'm still tremendously, overwhelmingly unsatisfied with my life. You ever met a happy Pharisee? Exactly. Do you think Jesus truly shed his blood for that? Right. Now, since the command is to love everyone, the Pharisee should and deserves love. However, to protect your peace and for the sake of healthy boundaries, which Pharisees hate, (laughs) you don't have to comply with the demands of a Pharisee. It's a quick and sure path to misery. Don't say I didn't warn you, boo. Now, let me give you reason 458 of why I love the Bible. It's that we have examples of transformation that provide us with clarity and hope. See, there is no case, no background, nor circumstance that is irredeemable. The Apostle Paul and Nicodemus, they provide two remarkable examples of people who started off on the high horse of a pharisaical gospel and ended as true disciples. And this is my hope for us. Now, story time. Let's start with Nicodemus. See, he comes on the scene in John 3. He's a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, and ruler of the Jews. It simply means he's got influence and authority in his community. He is sophisticated, educated, and elevated within society. But he comes to Jesus by night. Now, maybe he didn't want to be interrupted, or maybe he was scared of who would see him with Jesus. We're not sure. But he comes to him anyway, and he respectfully greets him. He humbles himself, and yet Jesus was not here for it. He gets super direct with him from jump. He's not mean or nasty, but he's very clear. He wastes no time telling Nicodemus that he must be born again. He lets him know off rip, appreciate all your credentials, but your heritage is not your one-way pass into heaven. Now, this phrase born again, it means from above, and some scholars translate it to mean regenerated. Now, this is jarring to a man who was made to believe through centuries of teaching that his heritage was enough of a ticket to get him in the gate. Sound familiar? So Jesus directs the truth to his heart. There's nothing that you can bring to the table, nothing that your pharisaical standing can do to rectify what's wrong with you. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say he has to wash again? because Anybody could do that. And Nicodemus surely could have gone through another ritual of washing himself to be clean. But Jesus says born because nobody can birth themselves. (laughs) Now, part of me, y'all got to excuse me because I just got a little happy off that. And if I knew how to play an organ, I'd hit a few chords right there. Because this stain, this spot, it's too deep to simply wash of my own. It can only be done through the deep blood red work of Jesus. 
It can only be done through the work of Jesus. Now, Nicodemus's conversation with Jesus is so impactful for him that it's this same Nicodemus that helps Joseph of Arimathea. He's another secret disciple to retrieve the body of Jesus after his death. So Nicodemus started off as a Pharisee, but he ended a changed disciple. Oh, Paul, (laughs) you're up next. Now, in his letter to the Philippian church, Paul gives his resume, but not as a form of boasting. It's the exact opposite. In Philippians 3, Paul shares with us his pedigree, his education, and his status in society. He outright calls himself a Pharisee, explaining that everything he did against the Christians at the time. Like Nicodemus, he too was highly regarded and respected in his community. But after adding it all up, look at how he describes his balance. He counts it as a loss so that he could gain Christ. He literally refers to it as boo-boo when pit against the excellency of knowing who Jesus is. I wonder how many of us would be willing to place such value on what we think we bring to the table. See, though written years and centuries ago, Paul's sentiments are so countercultural to how we demonstrate our Christianity today. We lead with our bio. After we meet someone new, typically the first question is of their occupation. Quick story. I remember we went to a fancy gala for a work thing for Rue. And I'll never forget, we were meeting some folks for the first time. And this woman, she walks up to me, extends her hand and says, Susan Smith, vice president, Fortune 100 company. And I kind of look around and I'm like, Sonia Pope, uh, Pope household. (laughs) What do I say to this domestic engineer? I'm a stay at home mom trying to keep these kids alive and fed every day. Good God. But getting back to it, could you imagine adding up all that we think we bring to the table, our backgrounds, our skill sets, where we were born, who we were born to, our talents, our three page resume. We add all of that up and find that it's nothing. It's boo-boo in comparison to the excellency that is Jesus. Now, hear me healthily. There's nothing wrong with achievements. There's nothing wrong with degrees and great careers and even status because all of those things can be used for God's glory. And many believers do just that every day. The issue is when we allow what we do as an occupation to become the tool of justification for our worth or acceptance with others. And Paul uses his life to show that we don't need to. May we all experience transformation like that. Now, if you're interested, check out Acts 8. It tells the story of Paul's conversion. It also tells the story of how the gospel made it to Africa before slavery. But that's another podcast for another day. But you'll see in Acts 8 the rich detail of Paul's turn from murderer to minister. So we can say again that Paul, like Nicodemus, he turned from a Pharisee to a radical disciple. Now, between these two examples, there's a few things that are important to note in our own journey of leaving behind the fallacy that is this pharisaical gospel. Let's consider these four steps to take to walk out of the synagogue, if you will. Here they are. Step number one, get low. Every great move of God is marked with humility. Even God became a baby. Humility opens the door for truth and creates the pathway to freedom. Nicodemus gets humble when he calls Jesus, who had no formal training, a rabbi. 
And can you imagine Paul's life as he has to fight a reputation that precedes him while winning people to Christ? It don't get no more humble than that. And for even me to share my story, the best thing that happened to me was the day I could finally admit out loud that I didn't know. See, initially I was hesitant and fearful of being seen as inadequate for not knowing something when typically I was known as the knower. But that thing became liberation for me. The first step to walking away from this self-righteous mindset is admitting to yourself that no matter what you do, you can't save you. And, and, and can I park here for a second? I, I got to take this. We have to see that this narrative is worldly. This idea that the only answers I need are found within, it's postmodern at best and pharisaical in principle. See, I wouldn't need a savior if I didn't need saving. And I wouldn't need saving if I had what I needed already. Now, I understand the importance of personal responsibility. That's biblical. So this is not that. However, we've got to be careful not to spew the talking points of people who find their belief in places other than the Bible. I understand the discomfort of this, but it remains. The first step of freedom is to acknowledge the bondage. This introduces the need for a bondage breaker. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus and he can break them all. Now, number two, turn around, repent. That's the thing about being a Pharisee. We're constantly looking for reformation without transformation. That's not complete change. You're just jazzing up the outsides and resetting personal protocols for better performance. But that's not the gospel. And this is why that whole holiness culture is failing us in the first place, because we thought holiness could be reduced to a uniform and that stiff meant uprightness. So no more club clothes. Get you some all the way to your ankles. Cover that head. Take off anything red. Keep it loose and you'll be free. But this model isn't sustainable because we may have worn the garb, but our hearts were never converted. And why would it be? We were given the law, but not him. See, holiness, like peace, has a name. It's Jesus. All we try to do is elevate the flesh by changing its clothes and placing conditional restrictions on its appetites. But Jesus didn't come for that. He came to root out entirely the sinful systems of a soul set against him by paying for it with his life, allowing us to get back to God, get back to peace, and get back to being whole. Number three, get up. Forgive yourself. One of the biggest marks of a Pharisee is self-condemnation. We're literally living in opposition to Romans 8.1. And then we wonder why there's so much internal turmoil. If I find someone who is always critical of something, it's because they're in a trap of criticizing themselves first. Because it's only what's in us that will come out. I have to truly receive that I've been forgiven and my slate is washed clean for real. But we're unforgiving of others because we're unforgiving of ourselves. And where there is no grace, there isn't much mercy. You ever notice Pharisees are hardly compassionate? They're always calling for swift punishment and reaction-based discipline. Harder and more is their motto. And that's weird because Jesus never called for that. If he promised an easy yoke and a light burden, 
Who are you to come with your burden of shame and memories meant to hinder folk from growing out of an identity into the grace of a new one? Gweframi. Excuse me, that means move away. Don't do that. (laughs) Number four, go. Go with love and love one another. To go from Pharisee to disciple, we must come out of judgment, out of shaming, into love. So it's sanctification over standard. The measure of maturity is love. Pete Scazzaro says it best. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. I'm going to say that one more time because the folks need to hear it. And so does Sonny. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. This means that there's no amount of seminary degrees, tongues, or flat-out talking talent that can override your ability to love your neighbor as yourself. Because this is the definition of a Christian. This is the true resume of a believer. And yet this is what is lacking in so many of our homes, our lives, and places of worship. But this is it. The end result of emotional maturity and spiritual health and wholeness is love. And this, according to Jesus, is the only way that people will know we belong to him. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, not by talent, not by knowledge and good God, not by your title, but it's by the love that we show to one another. Now, I get it. Trust me, I do. This is not an easy command, and it certainly will not be comfortable all the time. But it's possible when I can rest in how loved I am by him. We love because he loves us. If we, especially in the church, spent more time loving people than looking them over, we'd truly turn the world upside down like they did in Acts. And this... This is the gospel. I'll wrap up here. See, everyone trusts in something for their salvation or rescue. The Pharisees, they simply believe that what will save them is their ability to adhere to an ever-moving target, a code of conduct or a set of rules to live by that don't really reflect the power of Jesus. They don't reflect his goodness, his splendor, or his beauty. But they believe they have their own power to curate righteousness through activity. That's a lie. And whether we're ready for this or not, the act of looking towards anything else as a means of salvation, it's sin. See, here's the scandal of grace. Your good life and rule abiding, it does not place a demand on God to bless you with good things. Grace is a gift. It's one that is given freely and can be received freely. And if you live as if it's your goodness keeping you, You have stumbled into the posture of a Pharisee because they function as if their salvation comes from them. And this is the greatest problem a Pharisee has with Jesus. See, when Jesus steps on the scene, he cancels the morality contest by bidding anyone who will to come and receive rest and grace and life more abundantly. So this is the hope that you can participate in actual transformation. The invitation is still there for you to receive his love over the law. He did it for Nicodemus and he did it for Paul. He wants to do it for us too. But we've got to turn because if we don't, 
it's not going to be good. And I say this with so much love. So I'm going to paraphrase Paul here. Don't play yourself. Be not deceived. You will never get a harvest that you didn't sow. So if you sowed pretentious barriers with the intent of blocking people from Jesus so that they could conform to your rules, you're going to reap barriers of access to him. So let's live in his love and leave the law alone. Here's my question. How well do you love others? What grade would you give yourself? Hit me up, email me, let me know. Well, fam, thank you for letting me be with you today. If this brought you any value, I'd be honored if you'd subscribe to the show for more soul-hitting episodes delivered freely to your device each week. Check out our website, soulworkwithsan.com for more thoughts. The blog is up. And for those who signed up to be a part, welcome. I'm so glad to have you. We're on Facebook and IG. And bear with me, I'm getting used to IG. We're at Soul Work with San, And I'd love to hear from you. So email me at hello at soulworkwithsan.com. That's hello at soulworkwithsan.com. Now remember, you're only going to hear one of two statements on that fateful day. Well done or depart from me. Let's live accordingly. Love you. Talk soon.